Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Our industry review this week is going to be all about farming and I'm delighted to talk uh, to three farmers now to tell me about their business. They're going to be different types of farmers. Uh, my first guest is a former president of the IFA. He's a dairy farmer up there in Athen Ryan, County Galway. His name is Joe Healy. Joe, you're very welcome to the programme. Thank you very much, Bobby. Good to be here. Yeah, and also joining us is James O'Reilly. He's a tillage farmer from Ballyragged in County Kilkenny. James, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks for having us on, Bobby. And finally, we've got Bobby Miller, who's chairman of the Irish Grain Growers Association, but he's a tillage farmer down there in the lovely Stradbally in County Leash. Bobby, you're welcome to the programme. Thanks very much, Bobby. Appreciate having us on. Good man. Now, while you're there, Bobby, maybe tell us a little bit about you and your farm, if you would, for our listeners. Yeah, I'm based just outside Stradbally in County Leash, uh, electric picnic country, as, as it's known now. I'm purely tillage, um, grow four different crops on the farm, uh, usually uh, winter oilseed rape, winter oats, uh, spring barley and winter barley. And that's the crops I grow. Uh, and and Bobby, what when you're deciding what you're going to sow and what you're going to plant, what what on what background do you make that decision? Like, why would you do oilseed rape over oats or vice versa? Just our listeners would be interested to know how you decide which crop you'll actually grow. Yeah, well, what we do, what's very good uh, practice on tillage farms is what crop rotation. So each year you have a different crop in the, sa- in a, in the same plot, if you know what I mean. So we yeah. rotate it around, say, one in five years, I love oilseed rape in a particular field. And we have to do that as well. Uh, we can't continuously grow oilseed rape in the one plot every year. It's not it's not good, basically. It's uh, It can pick up diseases and... You know, and it's not best practice. Okay. That's why we do it. But look, it does come down to finance as well. Uh, we, uh, it's proven that by rotating your crops around, you get a better yield and you have less uh, management involved as regards pesticides and whatnot. Okay. So, it makes sense. All right. We do, look, we do keep an eye on the financials as well. Okay, we'll talk about those in a second. Let me introduce our second farmer, uh, Joe Healy. Uh, a dairy farmer from Matt and Ryan, County Galway. Uh, Joe, uh, I know you've been a stalwart in the uh, IFA, uh, your former president, so you're very up to speed on all things uh, farming in terms of, uh, I suppose, even the, the international politics around farming. But let me bring you back to your own farm, if I may, in Matt and Ryan, County Galway. Describe it for us, if you would. Well, it's a grassland farm. Uh, I'm a dairy farmer. It's, uh, I milk about 100 cows and um, calf them in the springtime, February and March. And from once they start calving until in February, until I dry them off in December, they're grazing grass and uh, with very little meal. So it's a, it's a low input uh, farm from a cost point of view. Um, 95% of the cow's diet would be grass or grass silage with the other 5% in meal. And that meal a lot of the time is just introduced to ensure that the cow gets enough calcium and magnesium into the diet to avoid milk fever and grass tetany. Uh, I'm learning all the time here, Joe, but somebody, uh, one of my girls, she'll kill me for saying this, but she goes out with a farmer. And I know from first-hand experience that 
the worst thing you can do to a farmer is ask him how many cows he has because he says it's like asking you how if someone coming up to me saying how much have you got in your bank account. So farmers are sensitive about that kind of stuff. Uh, they are, and there was a, there was a great story told about a, a Kerry farmer years ago doing an interview, and the the interviewer uh, said, "What type of farming do you do?" And he said, "I'm a dairy farmer." And the interviewer said, "And how many cows do you do you milk?" And he said, "Oh, I milk them all." <laughs> So he wasn't telling a liar, telling the full truth. <laughs> They're the kind of farmers we like. On to our third guest, who's James O'Reilly, uh, a tillage farmer in Ballyragget in County Kilkenny. James, you're very welcome to the programme. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your farm, if you would. Yeah, look, we're um, predominantly winter crops, so winter ice, winter oats, winter wheat and winter barley. Uh, 30% of my land base is owned and the rest is leased in on long-term leases from... Uh, Landowners who either for one reason or another have decided not to farm themselves. Um, 24 years ago, my dad adopted a system whereby we sold the ploughs and we established all our crops with um, minimal cultivation, which has good environmental benefits from uh, less amount of carbon being released into the atmosphere. And um, we, uh, uh, tillage farming by its nature happens to be quite a, a low carbon footprint in comparison to some of the other farming sectors. And the, like we'd have one sixteenth of the greenhouse gas emissions of some of the livestock sectors. Yeah. We're all united at the moment as the government came out with the Climate Action Plan, a legally binding document, whereby they stated they wanted to increase the area of tillage because of its environmental credentials. Uh, and they're legally bound to try do this. But yet, they're all talk and no act. And That's when... Well, the tillage farmers at the moment. Yeah, I, 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 I often feel that, you know, that farmers who are the custodians of the land that do so much for nature are often vilified around uh, the green agenda by people in lots of cases who may not understand uh, how a farm works. So I, I, I'm not... But Bobby, it's the end user uses our products. Are they not then therefore responsible for the carbon that's produced in making this food? So, I mean, like I'm not growing the food to jump it. Yeah. Somebody's no. eating it. Somebody's using it. So, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all responsible for this, not just the, not just the farmer that produces or, or the lorry man that drives down the road and he releases emissions with, with, with the petrol consumption. He's not doing, he's doing that to get the service to the, to the, the, the public. Yeah. So we're all in this together. Yeah, no, I, I, and, and do, you, do you feel, James, that, that even within farming, that farmers are almost pitted against one another? Yes, there is plenty of that for us. We, I feel that we need a balanced farming system with dairy, beef, sheep, like not all land is suitable for tillage or not all land parcels are suitable for dairying or, or, or other enterprises. And we need a mix for, of, of all the farming enterprises because otherwise we'll end up relying on, on, on more imported feed that we, from coming from sources where it's grown on, on, on Brazilian, ex-Brazilian rainforest and so on and so forth. So we to have a balanced ecosystem. You yeah. need everything. So we can't just all have one because then it's monoculture. And that's not good for the environment. It's not good for the public good. And I think the government needs to be aware to help make sure all sectors stay. Okay. Uh, Joe, back to you. Uh, you're, you're probably uh, much more savvy around uh, the green agenda and how it interacts with farming than I am. But is that one of the big challenges in farming today? It is a huge challenge. And James has made a few great, great points there. And, uh, you know, I think from an Irish point of view, we're seen as probably one of the most efficient uh, carbon producers of food in the world. Yeah. Um, 
we're right up there at the at the very top uh, with New Zealand in relation to uh, producing milk. James outlined there in relation to the tillage, and we're in the top five in Europe when it comes to carbon efficiency at beef production. Um, but we all know that we have to do more um, and far- Irish farmers have always been very adaptable to, to the changes and to whatever legislation is put in front of them. Um, but sometimes what annoys the likes of the Irish farmer is, you know, when you see the likes of the Mercosur trade deal, we're being told what to do here in Ireland and across the EU. And next thing our EU legislators sit down with um, legislators and negotiators from Brazil and Argentina and Paraguay and Uruguay and like in the last three years, the size of half the Republic of Ireland has been destroyed in the Amazon rainforest. Um, I saw a figure the other day where the 3,000 football pitches a day, that's a lot of pitches, are, a big are, being size, burned. are being burned and destroyed in the Amazon rainforest. We have a total cattle population here in Ireland of just over 7 million. And it has stayed within that 7 million, a couple of hundred thousand either side of it since 1973. In Brazil, for example, they have 230 million cattle and they're talking about increasing their herd by uh, 10% and that's to come together with the likes of the USA to to produce the food that the Green Deal is going to reduce production by in, in the EU. And when you see things like that happening outside of your control that are such, you know, more significant impactors of all this... 5,000 miles away it must be you must almost get despondent well, by it's, it. It's, yeah, yeah. But when you're told you have to do X, Y or Z it is. when you see this going on in tandem and that is outside of our control in one way but it's within the EU's control when they do the negotiations on international trade deals that they ensure like we can't be afraid of international trade we're an exporting country we, we have to export food but all we ever ask for is that there's an equivalence of standards with who we do the trade with yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't want to get too political here uh, in the sense, but I, I do understand their issues and I'm, I'm not trying to dust them under the carpet. But back to you, uh, Bobby, in terms of, yeah. in terms of the business, uh, tell me about managing cash flow in the business when you're leaning, when you're dealing there, you know, with harvests, with seasonality, with, I suppose, lean times and then maybe more prosperous times. How do you manage to balance the books? Yeah, well, when you mention uh, years, this year has been a very difficult year for the tillage sector, a very difficult year. We have situations where crops aren't even harvested yet, and in instances, they won't be harvested. So these particular farmers are at serious loss. So cash flow is very, very important, and you have to keep a very close eye on it. Um, In 2022 was a a very good year for us, but 2023 has turned out to be the opposite. And in some instances, they're under severe pressure to be financially viable going forward. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, you're not farming has gone far more complicated than it used to be. Uh, the joy, the joy in some ways has nearly gone out of it. Um, we, the joy of you nearly like getting up in the tractor now to get away from it all. In some instances, to be up in the tractor on your own and do your work because the amount of regulation that we have to deal with, like Joe Healy mentioned there, the, the Mercosur deal there, like for us, the horse is bolted already in that because we're competing with uh, the Mercosur countries for our product directly uh, 20, 30 years now. Uh, so, uh, And if you look, sorry Bobby, if you look back over the years 
of all your years in farming, has it always been good years and bad years? Is that just the nature of the beast, not to use a pun? But that, yeah. That's yeah, no, you're hitting the nail the head there, Bobby. Uh, no years the same. Yeah, you have to take the rope of the snood. And I, I call tillage farmers the ultimate gamblers in many respects. Uh, myself and James there are out sowing our winter crops now. And we're waiting for next next July, August, September to know what we're going to, yeah. what one we're going to get, and we're dependent on the weather, uh, EU regulations, competing with uh, imported products that's not going to the same standards here in Europe. So there's a lot, there's a lot of wheels in motion there. Yeah. Uh, hard to be a tillage farmer, and a huge amount of regulation uh, being thrown on us uh, currently, and. Oh. It's it's there's so much red tape uh, involved in farming anymore, and it's hard to attract young people into it uh, currently. As a result, yeah. Um, maybe back to you, James. You mentioned there uh, a figure of thirty uh, percent own land and then leasing land. Yeah. Tell tell me a little bit about that. Uh, I presume, like anything, like any, I suppose, property investment to get a return on it. How do the maths work around leasing land? Like how for much? Me, I, I can I can lease land for less than the interest cost of buying land. So land is okay. taking somewhere between ten and twenty thousand euro an acre, and an interest of five percent uh, at twenty thousand euro that's a thousand pound a year in interest. Yeah, so I can rent land for substantially less than that. Okay, um, it, it gives me scale, uh, which can have economies of scale at times. But if you're not careful, you can end up with uneconomies of scale because you go too big and you can't manage what what you're trying to do, and the wheels start falling off the wagon. Um, look, Tilly's Bobby's right. Tilly's is a, is a gamble. Uh, I have a good bank manager, but if I, I sat down and I said to him, listen, I really what I want is I want X amount of money to run the business for the next 12 months till we get to harvest. And it's uh, basically, we're betting on four different horses in an accumulation. So it's an accumulator bet. We're betting on the weather to plant it, whether to harvest, and whether to be able to look after during the growing season. We're gambling the yield and then gambling on the price. It is a gamble. Uh, that's why it's, it's cyclical. Some years are better than others, and some years, yeah. you'd rather forget about them. But you have to look at the average within any business. No more than the hotel trade or the restaurant trade, they go through peaks and troughs too, and it's how to manage them yeah. uh, in the good years and maybe put money aside to carry you through the bad years. Like what I did was I would have bought this extra stock of products last year, and that'll carry me through this year. Uh, yeah. And help normalise that I wasn't ending up with a massive tax. Right. But, uh, so it's that's a, interesting you say that. We'd, we'd like to think that the government would, would follow through on their action. If they want to support tillage farmers, they came out with an exceptionally solid uh, uh, package to help due to the difficult harvesting weather and farmers who lost crops and so on and so forth, uh, coupled with the highest growing cost that we've ever experienced in my lifetime farming. And uh, they came out with 11 euro 30 an acre of a subsidy. To right. Help. That doesn't work for it's anyone. An it's, an, it's an insult. Yeah. Uh, back won't to buy your dinner. Back to you, Joe. Um, one of the other difficulties farmers face is that your price takers, mm. as in, you don't get to set your price if you're talking about mm. uh, the the price of milk, etc. And even if you're selling beef, the supermarkets are ultimately dictating mm. how much they'll pay. Again, experience, and you've been around a long number of years. How do you square that circle in your head, or how do you manage not being in control of that? Yeah, I think it was. Uh, John F. Kennedy that said that farmers were the the one sector that had to buy at inflated retail prices 
sell at wholesale, at, uh, depressed wholesale prices and pay the freight both ways. Yeah. Uh, and, and he wasn't far wrong, you know. And a lot of the time you, you hear about uh, farmers and unfair trading practices uh, that's carried out with them, and particularly in the horticulture sector. And, you know, I'd hope that there's a step taken in the right direction in that way. And it follows on from Commissioner Hogan's work in Brussels uh, with the Agri-Markets Task Force. And for the first time ever here in Ireland since last May, we have a new food ombudsperson, Neve Lenehan, um, and she's finding her feet at the moment. And you'd hope that that'll be, as I said, the first step in the right direction. Uh, what's her role ultimately well, going her, to be? Her role is to really ensure that there's fairness and transparency in the whole food chain. In the purchasing yes. and the supply. Uh, and, yeah. and that, uh, so that you get paid on time, you're paid a fair price. Exactly. Those kind of things. And that, you know, you can't be... Uh, charged that the supplier can't be charged for shelf space or for marketing or yeah. for a change of packaging, um, and there's a whole he- you would need a whole show on it. No, Bobby, well, you know? no, we'll, uh, we'll just we'll but, skirt but, around you know, it. Yeah, it's 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 um, it, there's huge room for it there. We we saw in in England uh, and the IFA brought over Christine Tagan. She was the UK grocery code adjudicator, and she had worked very closely between the suppliers and the retailers and processors as well and it'll be a similar job that Neve will, will do here so um, you know as I said there's there was a big need for it uh, we lobbied for it and uh, thankfully she's there now but uh, it's it's very important that suppliers get a fair share of the consumer euro Yeah yeah. no absolutely well look I, I don't want to end on a negative note so like there are many farmers in Ireland uh, lots of you are very proud and happy with your work and your business. Uh, it's a great, it's a great family business in terms of tradition and everything else, uh, Joe. So yeah. I wouldn't want to, this conversation to end without heralding the upside of farming. Oh, absolutely. And look, the the two lads, Bobby mm. and James, there they give a great uh, idea of what it's like on the tillage farmer and explained why it is such a gamble. I suppose all farming is a gamble, but then you know you get up a morning like this morning. Uh, and for me, you go out and you do the jobs on the farm. You couldn't be in a nicer place Absolutely. in the world. Let me have a quick word with the other two guests. Uh, firstly, to you, Bobby, uh, when you're out there ploughing your furrow, uh, um, in terms of being on your own in that tractor, is it a great place to be? Just thinking about the world and and uh, being out in the air, as they say. Yeah, no, Joe touched on it there. We're, we work with nature, we depend on nature, uh, we appreciate nature. Uh, it can be the most relaxing place in the world as well. Uh, but there's parts of my farm I love walking, uh, and they're my own uh, at times, and you're just so in touch with nature. And we look, we get a lot of uh, stick uh, on environmental things, but I can guarantee you, you go into the vast majority of farms and they are dead proud people of their own farms and how they operate it. Yeah, uh, and we work with nature every day of the week. We depend on nature, and we realise as well as any, as well as everyone everyone else how important nature is. And we plan to do our bit, and are doing our bit. That's the other part of it. Yeah. We are doing our bit. As no, well said. I I think that's very well said. Last word to you, James. Again, as I say, I want to end on a positive note. Yeah, um, yeah, no. Look, farming is a great way of life. Like none of us were forced into farming, and and all of us could leave farming in the morning if we wanted to. But it's um. A great place to raise a family. It's, it's a very family-oriented business, and, you, and and your kids can work with you on the farm as they get older. And uh, you're working with nature. Like I plant a crop, and I get to nurture that all the way through, to, uh, to and then to harvest it. But there's nothing I would enjoy more 
still doing it. Like, yeah. so, uh, even though we have our pressures and we have our problems and we have our challenges, uh, I wouldn't pick an, another career. Right. And I think well, most farmers would feel the same. It's, it's uh, most of us are here by choice and and, deli- and lucky to be here. I was lucky that my father before me was a farmer, and that's how I ended up being a farmer. Yeah. Well, uh, well said. Well said, James, and thank you again uh, for your time and indeed your knowledge on farming. Uh, and for all three of you, James O'Reilly, a tillage farmer from uh, Ballyragget in County Kilkenny, uh, Joe Healy, a dairy farmer from Athenry in County Galway, and indeed Bobby Miller, uh, a grain and tillage farmer in Strad Valley in County Leash. Thank you all for your wisdom and for being great ambassadors for your sector. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.